Sharon Kitroser is a non-for-profit specialist. She knows the ins and outs of nonprofits, how to run them, what should donors look uh, when they want to donate. Generally, it's three things. It's money, time, or resources. What should donors look for when they're researching a non-for-profit? There's so many now. There's internet ones. There's large ones. There's uh, humanitarian ones. There's ones for causes. There's local ones. There's global ones. Uh, Nonprofits play such an important role in our society. Who should you support? Uh, Would it be a religious one, like I said? Would it be in your your community? Uh, But it's a very important function of our society, nonprofits play. Uh, We have a great discussion on how that works. She trains nonprofits how to work as well. It's a fascinating discussion on nonprofits. Uh, I think you're going to like it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family, in their passion, in their careers, and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. So let me start off by asking you, uh, why should people donate to large nonprofits, you know, they're like very big nonprofits. When we hear that, you know, sometimes there's, you know, large payrolls and large buildings, et cetera. Why should we still donate to them? You should absolutely still donate because the nonprofits do the on the ground work to change society, to change people's lives. It's incumbent upon the giver to really look and do their homework to make sure that this nonprofit is doing with their money, what we call donor intent, what they want to be done with their money. Donor intent. That's very interesting. Yeah. Cause you know, uh, just what happened in Haiti, the earthquake that happened about, Oh, I don't know, month, six weeks ago. And uh, you know, Red Cross was the first group there, you know, and they're a very big nonprofit here in the United States. And all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And uh, what is the state of nonprofits, you know, with the pandemic, with the, with everything that's happening, how are they doing? You know, different nonprofits, some have gone away. It's been too much. And some have had um, a huge growth. For instance, food banks. I think people who never thought they'd use a food bank are using a food bank. And so people really understand the need and have just, been overwhelmingly generous and supportive to a number of categories. That's just one of them. Um, you know, the, what our business focus on is focuses on is very much teaching fundraisers to be nimble and be able to pivot. So a lot of charities and nonprofits who really focused on in-person events, uh, everything from, you know, 5Ks to galas, really stuck reinventing how they would ask their their supporters for money. Some could, some could not. Some did it and did it well. Some did it and flat, you know, landed flat on their face. So it's really been a, an awakening, definitely for myself and, and my team, on what we need to be training people on, which is to really be able to look at a situation in the world and decide how do we best, support our mission in, in the reality of the world. 
Very interesting. You know, you start off by saying food banks, and I remember, you know, I'm in the Northeast. I think you are too. And I just remember New York City. I'm in oh, Florida. But you were originally, I could hear yeah. it in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, you know, New York City, the food banks, the lines were going, you know, for blocks and blocks during the, the beginning of the pandemic because, you know, uh, what, what had happened. And um, I could definitely see an uprise in that. Uh, do I, you know, unfortunately I've never been, I've, I've, there's one in my town, I'm in New Haven and I know I've donated They every once in a while they send emails out saying we need some paper supplies, we need everything, you know, and then, you know, we know what to do, but do they look for money or do they look for food? What, what do you donate to a food bank? That's a really good question. And you could say that about any charity because there's really just a, a, a three categories. You can donate your time and be a volunteer. Mm-hmm. You can donate money to support their mission. Or you can donate stuff if they're people who want stuff. For instance, you know, um, there are some, you know, the, the, you brought up the Red Cross. The Red Cross couldn't get stuff to Haiti. They had to rely on money to get the stuff where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the real big th- things. And I, I remember a story where a board member at a charity that I worked for went up to one of our very, very um, involved volunteers and showed her a bracelet, a gold bracelet that she had received for be, for donating so much money to this charity and started saying, you give your time into all this great stuff, but I give my money. So, you know, I found that quite distasteful because the mm. joke is all are good. Giving, you know, let's take the food bank example. If you are able um, to donate food, that's great, but somebody has to pack up the food. So if you're able to donate time, that's amazing. And if you're uh, able to, you know, donate resources, the truth about food banks is, let's say, you know, they're trying to feed people nutritious and healthy and help Mm. them stay healthy. So if everybody's donating, you know, soda, somebody, they've got to use these funds to purchase vehicles to deliver, but also healthy food that can sustain people during, you know, whatever crisis they're having personally or in the community. It's it's so important the the role that nonprofits pay play, and I don't think people realize. I was talking to Dr. Mark Rothman, who who was there at nine eleven, and uh, he came out of the subway there, and you know by NYU, and the towers were there, and and he went and helped afterwards, and there was all of these volunteers. Like he'd ask, "Where are you from?" and they they say some nonprofit from somewhere in the Midwest. They came and they're going through things and trying to find remains, and you know everywhere there was all these volunteers from these nonprofits he had never heard from. And it's just so inspiring to know that these people are ready when there's something like this. They're part of a committee. They're part of a group. And away they go. They donate their time. They're ready to do that. It's it's so impressive and fascinating at the same time. Well, different people, you know, I think everybody sleeps with their superhero cape in a different way. Um, You know, I've had the most wonderful volunteers work in organizations. And I always love the volunteers because they're doing what I do. I'm getting paid. They're not. Mm -hmm. So I always really focus on letting them do what makes them feel like they can wear that cape. And for some people, it was, you know, being able to, you know, I worked at the, um, at the bone marrow registry for some people, it was running a drive and waiting to get, that special card or special email that said somebody you tested became a match. Magical. Other people wanted to actually be the person who donated the bone marrow, both volunteers, um, both, you know, but some people are not physically able or beyond the age where you can donate. So I think as a paid staff member, or certainly as leadership, it's your job to find out what makes everybody feel like they've had their little piece of changing the world. So let's talk about 9-11. It's certainly very timely. I, back then, it was in my first career in radio, and I had a client who manufactured sugar-free sports drinks. And he called me up and he said, I want to send a semi truck to ground zero. Can you make that happen? And for him, it was stuff. Back to time, money, or stuff, he was stuff. 
So, you know, I work with WABC. I was able to reach out to some of the talk show hosts and no kidding. I think it was my first magic moment in volunteering. I was able to get a truckload of this beverage, which was very valuable, you know, down to ground zero. He felt like a million bucks. I felt like I had some control over something that was so not in control. And it was just amazing. So I think everybody, many, many people have this volunteer spirit, this spirit to do something bigger than themselves, to be able to help people less fortunate. Not everybody. Some people donate money because it, you know, it helps their taxes. It's okay. It's okay. Because, you know, nonprofits do the work that you'll never, you know, that's why they're nonprofits. They do the money, the work that money, it's not going to get anybody rich. It's just going to be their piece of saving the world. You know, and then there are the people who start charities because of something that happened in their life. And they take that moment and turn it into a mission. I have to tell you, I spend my life looking to, to find people like that that I can get to understand. I'm this like crazy person who asks these weird questions. What motivates people? Quick story. We had a guy who really was one breath away from dying of leukemia. And they finally found his match. He got a bone marrow transplant after two years of a search and all kinds of chemo and all kinds of stuff. And now he's well and good. And I, you know, where they go, any questions? I go, yes, I have one question. What kept you going when everything was against your side? Uh, there's this movie, old movie called In Search of Happiness. If you remember that with Will Smith, how yes. do people keep their, their drive and their belief that it'll turn out okay when they're living with their kid in a bathroom? How do you, you know, how do you keep your faith when you have no match and maybe you'll die soon? How do you keep your faith? How do you get, and I'm fascinated. I will never, ever miss an opportunity to meet someone like that and help them with questions they find. Actually, most people find them intriguing. I find them a gift to me because I, you know, back to 9-11, I once met someone who was in one of the towers on an airplane. I was sitting next to her on an airplane and I asked her, can I ask you a few questions? She goes, yeah, I paid a lot of money for therapy. Shoot. You know, tell me all your questions. Ask me, you know. It's amazing to think we're coming on uh, 20 years of uh, 9-11, by the way. it's. I was on an airplane during 9-11, heading for New York. Hmm. So to say, and I had very little children 20 years ago, they were one and four. They are now 21 and 24. And um, I once heard a guy on a TV show talking about blessed and not blessed that some people were blessed. And, and he said, that's ridiculous. Just because you died on 9-11, you were blessed. You had a beautiful family. You did beautiful. Whatever it was that made you so extraordinary. Because I just got lucky that day. And I got out. And that's exactly how I, it has changed my perspective. I feel lucky that the plane I was on was in the air for 7,000 hours, it seemed like. And we ended up in Atlanta. But you know, crazy story, but I'm here and nothing happened to me. I was very lucky. Incredible. I know, um, my sister had passed away years ago and we, we did a, you know, a fundraiser thing. We did it for two years and kind of created a little something and, you know, got a bunch of people to donate and got silent auction did things like that. And it really, um, it, uh, it's refreshing to know how many people want to help. Do, do nonprofits go, um, typically back to the same people or do they try to get net new donors? That is a question that you're probably asking the most opinionated person in the United States of America on that question. Uh, we're very lucky then. Uh, you know, my background is sales. Yeah. 80% of your sales come from 20% and half of them go away every year. Move that into nonprofits. 80% of your donations come from 20% of your people and often they get old and die. Now, they may leave you in the will and all that stuff. However, it is your job as, as a fundraiser to keep that funnel full. 
I call it professional friend making because, you know, it may, it's not like a sale where you walk in and go, hello, nice to meet you. Would you like to buy the widget I have? This mm. is selling them on the mission, getting them involved in the mission. And sometimes that takes a little time. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. But I put the fundraisers that I train on, um, let's call it a diet of at least X amount, depending on what the rest of their life looks like, of new calls every week. Because some will, some won't keep going. And, you know, I, a part of my, the, the training we sales training we do for fundraisers is to get them to get over the rejection. They don't know you. I tell my son this about girls. They don't know you yet. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting what they think they know about you. It's mm. exactly the same. Keep on going, keep on going because the new people bring vibrancy and ideas and magic to your mission. And while you cannot you know, I did a whole blog on this. You can't, you know, your, your steady Eddie donors that come in every year are, 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 are gold, but all these new people are silver and it's, you know, you gotta have them both to be, you know, to be successful. So you want to nurture and love and show magical appreciation. So I work for Disney. Magical is a big word in my vocabulary, mm. but you know, you have to really, really find ways to say thank you with all of your, um, uh, realness and, but you have to make new, you have to get new friends for the mission who will go forward. You know, often people are a certain age that donate and, you know, at 95, they're allowed to die. Hmm. They're not going to give you, you know, unless you're in their will, they're done giving you money. You know, I've worked places where people are constantly surprised because, you know, a month after the person died, you go, oh, that's why they're not answering my calls. Well, you should have known what was going on. That'll do it. It's hard to yeah make calls in the. Um, I, w I had a friend who worked at a, a nonprofit, and they said the number one thing that they that surprised them was when you're asking for money, just don't ask for money. Say, can we have ten? Can we have fifty? Can we have actually name a particular amount? That way, people know know what to give we say just can you donate it's a bit open and they don't know what to give but when you give suggestions it helps them move that along you find well, that to be the case well most of the people i deal with are major gift fundraisers so we're not uh -huh. asking for 25 dollars we're asking for twenty five thousand uh, dollars. i see so here's what i found really helpful in this is you know you always want unrestricted funds so they're not telling you specifically within your mission what to do but I like to give them an idea of what it can do. So I'll give you an example of my most recent at the bone marrow registry for every kit that went into the lab cost $60 to be processed. So if you pay for a hundred kits, odds are, you know, based on, and I'll give them all the math. One of those will be somebody's life-saving match. So to do this based on the numbers of seven, you know, I got a quarter of a million dollar grant from someone because uh, we were building an apheresis center and I went through, here's what this does, here's what this does, here's what this does. And without every piece of that machinery, you can't save somebody's life. And she went through, what is 50,000? What kind of equipment do you need for 50,000? What do you need for 100,000? She goes, send me a price list, you know, what wow. these machines cost. And it was on Good Friday. She came to the office and said, uh, I almost passed out just for future reference and said, I've gotten $250,000 approved. What shall I buy? Incredible. Because sometimes you have to, you know, ask the questions, ask the questions. Most fundraisers don't, you know, there's rarely one mission in a round. It's like, what are all the fingers that come out of the mission? you know, and what's the part that makes your eyes sparkle in corporate fundraising. I call it out of my advertising career, a VBR, a valid business reason. Like, does this help you talk to your, um, your folks better? Does it help you? What does it help you accomplish? Do you get to have volunteer opportunities for people? My business partner came up with actually was driving home from very far away from an event, like two hours. We came up with VBR for individual fundraising. What's the very best reason? What's the story that makes their eyes twinkle that they say, I want to be part of saving, you know, um, babies in Kentucky or whatever it is. Like I get it. 
you know, so it's really finding not so much suggesting money, but having them feel the magic of what their impact will, you know, your $50,000 will send X amount of kids to the lab and save 10 people's lives, you know, whatever it is. And that's a really simple equation, but maybe you like the science of it better. Do you know, we we have a research lab and we're looking to see how CAR T cells have applications in other forms of cancer. Oh, I really want to be about what's coming, not what is. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. You know, but you have to find what their, what makes their eyes twinkle. You know, it's said that most humans have three things that they support. Maybe their college they went to, their religious home, a church, a temple, whatever, and one other thing. And you know what? Maybe you're not their thing today. And I, this is a true story. I had a client I called up one year, a, uh, a, a BMW dealership. It was for a local event. And he said, we're doing breast cancer this year. Call me next year. Oh my God. I put him on my book and I called him next year. And I think the past three years he's now, we found out so deeply what was important to him that I left. He's still a sponsor. Hmm. Because we sold him on the mission and what impact he could have. But he told me, he said, nope, got me through, you know, I got who was for this year. It's breast cancer. We'll see what next year brings. And next year I just called him on the right day. It's amazing how that happens. With so many ways to contribute, like with GoFundMe and other, you know, Kickstarter and these kinds of things, is there, is it more competitive than ever for, for nonprofits? Again, those are usually little. I see. You know, um, and remember, I I, I I intimated that I lived in Florida, but I actually live in Palm Beach County, home of the big gala. And mostly people who have capacity to give major gifts are fairly clear what they want. You just have to, as a fundraiser, you have to get to that. Like you have to get enough trust. So they say, what I really want to do is build a hospital in my hometown. I really want my name. You know, you can go, uh, there are people who want their names on the building and there are people who rather be shot in Times Square than have their name on a building. And so hmm. you really have to find out, you know, if you understand what their vision of changing the world is, that's fabulous. But you also have to figure out what their, you know, what their vehicle and what's important to them and acknowledgement and stuff. Interesting. You mentioned religion before. I mean, that seems to be one of the major kind of pillars of, uh, of foundation. I would think that they want to donate. There's plenty of, you know, uh, Christian hospitals and, uh, you know, schools, you know, that, um, do, do people, you mentioned kind of three pillars. Usually it's something they believe in and, and religion usually plays a big part in it as well. Sometimes it depends on the individual. There are people who do not want to give to religious organizations. And there are ones mm. who only want to give to people who affects the United States. There are, you know, talk about religion. There are people in the Jewish world who will only give to, you know, I happened to be at Mogan David Adam when I was in Israel, which is their Red Cross. All their ambulances were um, sponsored and had, you know, family names on them from people in Boca Raton, Florida. Wow. All the ambulances came from Boca Raton, Florida. And I was like, what is going on here? You know, so it's really just, you know, um, people are just have to get how they want to make that change. And sometimes it's religion and sometimes it's dog charities, you know, and they're all, they all do good work. Like, you know, um, there's a lot of rules and regulations on being a, a, a nonprofit, 501c3s, blah, blah, blah. You can, you know, if you've done your homework and you know this is a real purposeful, good charity and it's what you care about, you know, I, I always joke my grandmother when she died, great woman. Fabulous, was orphaned as a child, did not have a life they to to brag about until she met my grandfather and he the two of them had a beautiful, successful life. Everybody who sent a piece of direct mail to Sophie Jones got five dollars. Hmm. Every uh, including like things she had no, you know, interest in. It was just she couldn't say no because she felt so fortunate that her life had actually from where she started to where she ended had turned out so beautifully well. Wow. So then when she died, 
we're going through the mail and we're laughing at her form of generosity. And you sit there and you go, brings up the conversation. Is it better to give $5 to 50 people or to give $2,500, is my math right, to one charity? I don't have an answer for that. That's one of those unanswerable personal questions. However, think about it. Was my grandmother helping? Sure thought she was. Very interesting. And how do, excuse me, how do people find charities that will inspire them, will will make them want to donate time, money, resources? Well, um, that's a good question. Sometimes it's local and literally running into them. Hmm. Sometimes it's the marketing that they do, the direct mail, you know, the direct mail and the direct email and marketing has become such a precise science that they reach out to people. Um, there are all kinds of software to find capacity and find interest. Um, and the internet just makes it, you know, all that easier. And there are people who don't even care about the mission, just want to go to big galas and be seen at fancy parties. Hmm. And if they give money, that's okay too. I know there's one site that I just can't think of the name of right now to donate time and they'll, you know, you say what city you're in and then, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll tell you where to go. And, uh, um, you know, the internet has made these things a lot easier. Uh, we actually use that site. I can't think of the name of it when I was at Gift of Life because we did races in Boston where we actually had a couple of people, not enough to really recruit. We had so many volunteers. It was crazy. We had Really? Yeah. You know what? Mostly um, college and recent college graduates mm. uh, because this is the generation who doesn't mind getting their hands dirty and they want right. to really impact society. And they're much more conscious than my age group, my parents' age group. They're just conscious of all the things that make the world, you know, in peril. They're just, they're aware. They know. Yeah, that is true. And it's inspiring. This generation is very good about that. As far as a corporation level, I mean, other than a non a nonprofit and a, a for profit corporation corporation, other than the profitability thing, what are the other differences? That's a great question. I did a lot of corporate fundraising in my time. It's my favorite kind of fundraising. Um, it's called um, co- uh, corporate social responsibility. Companies are much more into it than they used to be. And sometimes this is just like a human. You got to find what makes their eyes twinkle. Are they trying to get their uh, employees involved? Have they set aside a certain amount of money because one of their employees had leukemia? I've dealt with that uh, quite a number of times. Mm. Are they interested because they're an energy company in showing the world that they care about um, the planet? You know, again, it all comes down to asking good questions, you know, getting to the right person and asking good questions. You know, I am a real strong believer in good and um, important social responsibility the way it should be done. Um, There are some companies who think changing the name of their, uh, you know, of their product is, you know, I joke and I'm going to get a call from them someday because I've had this conversation publicly too much. If Uncle Ben's, when they changed the name of the rice, had taken all the misbranded rice and donated it to food banks, I would have felt a lot better about that. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know what? Be authentic. And I have had more fun tying missions into corporations in real and authentic ways. I'll give you one great example that I loved, and I've never worked with them direct. I'm strictly a fangirl, is Budweiser. Do you know that Budweiser, um, during times of crisis, will take their beer cans and that aren't labeled yet, and they will... Um, fill them with water and get them to disaster sites. Wow. Hmm. So you know what? That's the stuff, but it's budget relieving because then the, the nonprofits don't have to pay for water and this water gets delivered and it is truly an important necessity. And you know what? They have the ability to do it at the drop of a hat. And it's really very, I think it's amazing. They also just did something. They amazed me to try to um, get more people to take the COVID vaccine. uh, They were offering free beers 
you know, to celebrate your new COVID vaccine. You know, they're very creative, but very purposeful in their corporate social responsibility. It's interesting to see that because they were acquired by InBev, the, the mm-hmm. European company. And it's, it's great to see that they can still do that even under somebody else's uh, umbrella. So then, I mean, we need to talk about there are some who uh, are completely against nonprofit, like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs stopped all nonprofit donation at Apple. Uh, he just didn't believe in it, had bad things to say about it. Please comment on that. Uh, I... Please comment on that. Uh, I wonder if he, after he got sick, he would have thought it was a good idea to give money to the Cancer Society for um, research into pancreatic cancer. Like, I, I don't know when he said that or as he was getting sicker and sicker, if he found the need to change that. Um, most companies... You know, Microsoft is terribly generous, like not terribly, but awfully generous. And so, you know, I'm not bothered by the ones who won't. I'm excited by the ones that will. And, you know, I have an Apple phone. I'm talking to you on an iMac. No, it's it's all okay. Well, the the new CEO has certainly changed policy there, and uh, it's very different now. But he just was completely against it and never really... uh, said why that I saw, but, um, it was just, uh, disheartening. Uh, and there are, there are others, right. That strictly that won't donate. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure why we're just speculating here, of course, but you know, if you have a bad experience, wherever it may be, you know, why, why disallow others to do that too? It's, it, it, well, really then look at Warren Buffett it. for every Steve Jobs, yes. there's Warren Buffett who I Bill really, Gates, yeah. um, think is, is, is magically generous. You know, there's, so there's, you can only count the ones that have. And I do enjoy that Warren Buffett will say what's wrong with the rest of you gazillionaires. Why aren't you doing this now? We'll have to see what happens with this whole millionaire challenge with uh, the Bezos is splitting and, um, you know, they're playing who can give more money. I do love what Jeff Bezos did. I know he took a lot of heat for flying to the moon when people were star or flying to space when people were starving, but I, I love the people he gave money to. I would work for Jose Andres any day. And I think, um, Van Johnson has changed the world with simple words and simple actions that ripple and ripple. So, you know, and he gave, two people, a lot of money to further their causes and sister causes. So, and of course, um, Mackenzie Scott has certainly, I was so excited. She actually gave money to somebody I've worked with in the past who could mm. not have deserved it more. It's uh, it's nice to see how people are, are so generous that way. And oftentimes we don't hear about that. Uh, so getting back to my other question about, you know, so I, I started a company back in the 90s, a, a technology company, and I just understand how for-profit companies work. But like the mechanics of a nonprofit, when there's when you're not trying to make profit, how, how do you operate? How do you, it just seems so foreign to me. Well, having worked in a profit and, and, and um, I, I joined the nonprofit after years in the for-profit world. Uh and it's it's different to work in them. But, you know, obviously when you ask for general funds, there's still money, whether you're a profit or nonprofit, you have to keep the lights mm-hmm. on and you need health insurance for your employees. And um, occasionally you need to buy a new desk or whatever it is. So unrestricted funds go to support, you know, both the hard costs and then the growth of the mission and the capacity building so you can help more people and help more people. So generally if there's extra money after all this, it goes to, that's what it goes to capacity building. How many more people can we help? How many more situations can we make better? So Hmm. that's basically how it works. There's very, you know, there's a lot of scuttlebutt about how many, you know, how much employees make, um, I made considerably more money in the for-profit world, um, but you have to pay people so they can live to fight another day. Right. And if you want good people who will accelerate the, that capacity building, you need to hire people who know what they're doing. So it's always a very interesting um, 
roller coaster, you know, and there's a lot of turnover in nonprofits. Um, so it's, you know, it's the challenges they have to deal with. And, you know, there are these large nonprofits who work like corporations. And then there's, you know, somebody whose aunts got sick and they started a nonprofit and they all are trying to change the world and make it a better place. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's very interesting. It's well put too, because, you know, my business was strictly B to B. It was business mm-hmm. to business. We didn't deal with consumers, but it seems to me that not for profits will be B to B and B to C, and that's a very different philosophy. Uh, it is my um, time spent individual fundraising, um, as opposed to my business partner, who spent a lot more in individual fundraising. I spent a, more, a lot more time in corporate fundraising and you know it's easy for me to explain how there are many ways it can help your business listen right now engaging your employees is critical because mm-hmm. they're because of the great hashtag the great resignation everybody is looking for a better way and to this up and coming generation the millennials the gen z's making it having their company be involved in making a difference is super critical And so you have to, you know, um, we have a client who's a food bank and we talk quite extensively about how great it is that they have such a natural way for the employees to get involved. Hmm. So they get money from the corporation, plus they give, uh, um, a, give them an opportunity to rally around something that is not about work. It's about something else. Very interesting. And you're selling, like you said, you're selling a mission. You're selling, you know, you know, I, I have salespeople and, you know, I'm selling something to other businesses that'll help that business. But you hear you're, you're, I don't want to say you're selling a dream. That's, that's inappropriate. I don't think that's accurate, but it's called cause selling. You're selling a cause. cause. Selling. You're selling a cause. Yeah. Yeah. When I worked at one corporation, I remember a nonprofit came in and they they presented themselves and they said, if you want to donate, you can. And, you know, the corporation had a, had a good relationship with them. And when you learn more about them, you know, they're very worthwhile. I can donate some time, you know, a, sat- a couple Saturdays and, you know, some money. And it's, but I got introduced to them because of the corporation, par- corporate partnership. I wonder if other, you know, people will do it that way as well or where they can go. It's, um, it's so important. It's so important, nonprofits, in, in what we do. Well, and it also, it's really funny. So, yes, a lot of people come to a mission through corporate programs because hmm. uh, you don't know what you know till you know it. And when they realize they can help something with their time, because often they're, you know, not as high up in, in the corporation, wherever they work. And so they're not asked for money. They're often asked for time and the corporation is asked for money. And it's such a, it's such a 360 view of, of making things happen. Um, I did a presentation for a professional group um, called Alpha, uh, a Hispanic professional organization. And so there's a third piece to them. I had this, it was a wonderful breakout session. I joked that next to me was a robot. So I, I was competing with a robot. Hmm. Um, uh, and so what happened was I really got people who were interested in the subject matter, not the ones who wanted to see the robot. And I had this lovely woman from Indeed, the job search company in there. She's asking all these questions. What makes a good match? I had a whole presentation. She asked questions. And I finally said, you know, there's lots of things to connect. I would think for you, something like Dress for Success would be a fabulous charity, you know, back into the workforce. And she said, yeah, I talked to them. They don't know how to do a corporate program. So Mm. can I work with you? Because, you know, it's not as clear of a mission match, but you know how to get our employees involved. You know how to have their time make a difference. So I think, you know, that's one city where she was because Dress for Success is a fabulous charity. And I still promoted that she works with them because it's such a natural fit. I said, sometimes you have to, as a corporation, on some of these smaller nonprofits, coach them on how they can, you know, help you to be successful 
working with them. Because sometimes, you know, what you, who you want to help is a small nonprofit because you're based in Buffalo and they're based in Buffalo and you want to show your local employees mm. and you're going to have to help them a little bit to see how to best work with you. Be clear on what your goals of a corporate program is and how they can best engage. Because sometimes in a small nonprofit, a workforce can be a tremendous change in their trajectory. Think about it. I had five volunteers and now I have 50. What yeah. else can I do? And if they each give me $50, well, I'm really ahead of the you know curve. But it's, again, having a conversation and not necessarily assuming that they're the very best at this. They're very, they should all be very best at what their mission is. And that's actually why we built our whole company, to help them be very best at this other side too, to help them build capacity, grow their fundraising. Interesting. Now, there, there have been some nonprofit organizations that have, you know, uh, there's been corruption involved and, you know, they'd had to close down. I mean, how do we avoid those kinds of, I mean, it's only a few, certainly, but how do we, how do we look for that? What do you do in that circumstance? I'm sure you've kind of fallen into some of that sometimes. You've seen that. Oh, we turned down a client because we thought they, we didn't like how their 990 looked. Do your research. You know, Google search the charity. There's also, you know, and be reticent if it's a large charity and some guy in Syracuse does something wrong. Don't hold it against the charity. Right. You know, um, be clear on the mission and the overall picture. Realize there's some ex-employees who say stuff. Uh, you know, do your homework as as a donor and make sure and ask questions and you know, make sure that your money's going to do what you want it to do. I have this whole conversation started, donor intent. What do you want your money to do? What did my grandmother want to do with the $5? You know, um, I think after 12 months of $5, it was $60 a year. So maybe someone could do something with her $60. But it was true and good. And her donor intent was changing the world in a little way to a lot of people. It's fabulous. Mm -hmm. It really is. Now, your, your firm, Cat and Mouse, uh, you help profit organizations with, tell me what you do. So what happened <laughs> is after years at my last job, I left because I just was tired. Yeah. And um, I spoke to my friend who is very best in nonprofit stuff that I'm not very best at. Hence the team Cat and Mouse. She would be the mouse. I would be the cat. And we put together a real strong platform for learning. So what happens is you're a nonprofit manager. You have at least 57 jobs that you're responsible for on a daily basis. You hire fundraisers. You don't have time to train them. It becomes very easy to correct them when they've done something wrong. You start to see their faces go white and you start, you know, and, and their morale go down and they leave. The average fundraiser stays anywhere from 14 to 17 months, depending on what report you read. And then you start from scratch. You lose donors because maybe they like this newbie and they've known them for a year and a half or so, and then they leave, right? So you lose the, all the turnover costs, plus the relationships they had with donors, plus you're back at square one. It's exhausting. So we built Team Cat and Mouse. We have a very long list of things we train. There are two of us full-time and one part, uh, three or four part-time with different specialties. My specialty is definitely corporate and storytelling and um, uh, real bottom, not bottom, base level sales training for nonprofits, like what you need to do to be successful, how much time should you be spending on, you know, how to figure out your sales, math, all that stuff. Um, the mouse very much focuses, her name is Amy. Amy very much focuses on individual fundraising, strategic planning, um, how to build a, you know, how to look at data sets and figure out where to go next and plan giving. And then we have a third person who's full-time who focuses on grants and peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. He's the youngest, so we sent him out on you know, peer-to-peer -peer projects. 
And then what we notice is there is a need in the fundraising world for people who will come in and be an extra set of hands during transition periods. So we have someone who does public relations for us as needed, someone who's a graphic artist as needed, someone who can do um, writing for collateral or whatever. And so we're able to bring those people in as needed for a greatly reduced rate because they're moonlighting, you know, just to be perfectly frank. And so we end up being able to really, really help people through one central cat and mouse hub. Um, the, our grant writer is terrific. He has been busy. He's also in the Midwest. So he, if we need boots on the ground in the Midwest and we have people in New York and Boston and, you know, we're just trying to, and it's where we're, who we're really, really built to help are large or medium to large um, uh, charities who have bunches of offices or locations or chapters, whatever they call them. So we're working with one now that is a charity, a national charity, but we've been retained to, to train their Florida staff. So really you're paying to train one staff, but we get to train four regions of staff. So it becomes quite economical. Thank you to Zoom and other platforms is that we can train people, um, you know, with economy of scale, but here's the, our real unique selling proposition is that we train and we have a long list of things we train and you pick what your organization needs. And then depending on your budget, it can be once a week, it could be once a month, we have office hours. So let's say you have a, um, a development director who only knows how to do events. She's a party planner and a major fundraiser, please buy a table kind of thing. Well, how is she going to support, you know, corporate fundraising? She has to learn herself or he has to learn herself. So we'll have these offers out. So you say, oh, I found a, a, a connection at uh, Unilever. You know, what do, you, what do I pitch them? What do I say? What do I this? So we can work with them on ideation hmm. and work on them on building what they pitch. And then we'll obviously keep in, in touch with whoever the manager is so they know what's going on. Um, so we're really looking to upgrade without being the 58th job on the managers. You know, we've been managers. We know I'm a training lunatic and only because I think training your staff well allows you to go home on time. Yeah. Everybody wants that. Well, you know, um, I was not trained when on my first job. If you go to our website, you'll see the very first blog for team cat and mouse about me putting my head through a windshield because no one told me something. I, I mean, true story. I was a baby in radio in Binghamton, New York. And I got a year deal from a tire store for traffic reports in the morning for $10 a billboard. You know, this is brought to you by Binghamton sure. Tire Company. And I went back to my boss and I said, I, he asked me to cut it $2 a spot for a year contract. And he yelled at me and said, get back in your car and code, tell them they can't have a discount. And I went, drove down the mountain and was on a mountain to this location where the owner of the dealership yelled at me using all kinds of words that I would not repeat. And I drove out and I was so young and so freaked out that I hit the car in front of me and put my head through the windshield and bent the steering wheel oh with my chin. And I vowed then, first of all, I've been manager at radio stations and at nonprofits. And what he did was completely wrong. Wrong, 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 bad. Um, however, I would never, ever let that happen to one of my folks. You know what? Would you maybe have gotten a lecture that I would have appreciated a call asking you if that was okay? A hundred percent. But to make them go back and be screamed at and lose a contact and be embarrassed. And when I think I was there three weeks when this happened. So I brought a year contract on my third week in radio sales. I should be, there should be a party and maybe balloons. Instead, I got yelled at and, you know, I left there mm. as quick as I could find a new job. Boom. Who lost? Yeah, of course. So, you know, I'm just focused on teach people to be great. Care enough about the people you hire that you teach them how to be great and then check in with them to make sure they have all the tools that they need to do the job, do the job well, feel good about it. And then maybe they won't leave so quick. That's right. 
Very good. And of course, cat and mouse. Cat is short for your last name. Well, it's very funny because both Amy and my husbands had nicknames when they were kids based on their last name. I see. And mine was cat and hers was mouse. And so um, it was sort of a joke when she said it. But there's so much about the chase that's involved with fundraising that um, so far out of all the potential clients we've spoken to, one has figured out that it was our names. So we have a lot of fun with it. But mostly the point is we put, we just, it's so personal for us that of course, you know, and I didn't want it to be something that was our last, our real last names because we, we just want to take great people and make them greater. It's not about us. It's about bringing them, you know, to where they need to be so they can, you know, be 10 years from now and saying, you, you changed the trajectory of my career because I finally knew what I was doing. So. Very interesting. So how do we get in touch with you? How can we find you? The best way is team cat, a N D mouse.com. I'm Sharon. K is with a K. K cat is with a K team cat and mouse.com. And also I'm Sharon at team cat and mouse.com. Or the best way to get to me, and the most probably the easiest way to learn about it is we're big LinkedIn fans. We I think LinkedIn has changed my life. I don't have to dress up to meet new people, no hair combing, have the pandemic ponytail, and meet new friends. So I am very focused on LinkedIn, sharing Kit Roser. Um, Team Cat and Mouse has a page on Facebook as well as LinkedIn. And, and so that's the way to find me. Very good. Well, Sharon Kidroser, thank you so much. Nonprofits, very important in our life and our society, and we need to uh, find one or more and really engage with them. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, 10 or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. There's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pins Discipline Conversation.